Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I'd like to take you around the exciting country of Mexico. And uh, we're going to go inside and take a look around and explore some of its history and what it's all about. We'll break this up and I'll give you an overview, talk through the buildings, designs, and architecture, then move on to talk about the grounds, outdoor gardens, and displays that you'll see. I'll then head inside and talk about all of the inside displays and shopping, and afterward I'll tell you about the entertainment that you'll find, the characters and the kids stuff that you'll see around. And then I'll end with dining options and drinking around the world. And of course I won't forget to give you some details on what either was planned for the pavilion, or in this case, what was removed. Now this is the fourth in a series of podcasts I've done about World Showcase and Epcot. You'll find the overview of what World Showcase is in episode number 208, then in 209 I talk about the Japan Pavilion in some detail, and then in episode 216, I delve into Germany's rich history. Now, the Mexico Pavilion is located right at the entrance to World Showcase on the left side as you come from Future World. And in this case, placement is everything. Remember that Mexico is our southern neighbor, and you can access it from several different states along the southwest border. Now, you may also notice that Canada, the United States' neighbor to the north, is actually located just to the right as you enter World Showcase from Future World. So again, its relationship to the United States is very important. Now, if we were to consider the real compass points around World Showcase, you'd realize that the American Adventure is the southernmost pavilion, and then Mexico is at the northeast point, and Canada is at the northwest point. Now, this is kind of an interesting and whimsical way to look at it, because they had to put them in that order based on where the entrance to the park was going to be. But the Disney Imagineers are never ones to overlook those small details. So... If you kind of think about it, they did something clever and kind of whimsical here. If you stand at the American Adventure and you face Japan, so you're facing west, you can consider that Canada is above you and Mexico is below you or behind you. So what they've done is created a map in an abstract sort of way. It kind of works. It's kind of a cool idea and it really does work out if you think about it. Mexico is another one of the nine opening day pavilions they had at Epcot, but in one way it's the most unique among all 11 that are there currently. And that's because nearly all of it is indoors. Now, because Mexico is a good neighbor of the United States and always has been, the Mexico Pavilion was always planned as a part of World Showcase. Even when Walt Disney was talking about a World Showcase, Mexico was one of the countries that he had considered as an obvious choice to have on display. And the decision to include them was made even easier by the fact that funding was available. There was no money issue here. The Moctezuma Brewery and the San Angel Inn were happy to be a part of the pavilion and contribute money toward the construction. The brewery secured the rights to distribute Mexican beers, and as you'll hear, San Angel gave its name to the restaurants in the pavilion. During the planning phases, there was a plan to include two restaurants as well as an attraction named Las Tres Culturas de México. It was going to be a boat ride and the entire plan was laid out, but as construction was moving along, Disney decided to hold off on the ride and push it into Epcot Center Phase 2. 
The load area and the lagoon were to be constructed at that point, and the ride itself would be built at a later date. But as I've mentioned before, World Showcase plans were somewhat fluid in the early days. I've explained in the previous podcasts that Germany's Rhine River Cruise and Japan's Meet the World were both put on hold during the construction of World Showcase. One, for financial reasons, and the other because the memory of World War II was still too fresh and Meet the World didn't really fit. There was also a plan to build an Equatorial Africa Pavilion, and that was going to have a big ride in it. But unfortunately, the Equatorial Africa Pavilion also got pushed into Epcot Center's Phase 2. Of course, as we all know, Epcot Center's Phase 2 still hasn't happened. We're still waiting on that one. Maybe it'll happen in the future. So by canceling out the Rhine River Cruise and Meet the World, Disney had a little bit of a problem. There were no weenies. There was nothing to grab anybody's attention and hold them there so that they would want to come in and explore some of the World Showcase pavilions. Sure, the pavilions themselves might be interesting, and seeing the culture and history of some of these countries might be interesting, and seeing some of the movies that exist at some pavilions might capture some people's interest. But there was no no rides and no attractions, nothing that would really grab people and say, hey, come on in here and see this. So to remedy the situation, Disney decided to go ahead and build Las Tres Culturas de Mexico and make it an opening day attraction. But there's a problem here because it got started so late. They had put it on hold and then they decided kind of late to get it started and they still had to make their opening day deadline. So Disney decided to make a few changes to the ride. The ride's length was shortened by almost 40%, so it was a much shorter ride than it was originally planned and the concept was revised slightly to call it El Rio del Tiempo. Now, realizing that the Las Tres Culturas de México was really about the three cultures of Mexico, the time around the Aztecs, followed by the colonial times, and then into modern Mexico. El Rio del Tiempo, the River of Time, really kind of did the same thing. It was just a slightly different view of the same attraction. Now, don't worry, I'm going to talk more about El Rio del Tiempo a little bit later in the podcast. Thankfully, the construction crews worked tirelessly to complete the project, and the Mexico Pavilion opened with the rest of World Showcase on October 1, 1982. When the pavilion was complete, it consisted of two restaurants, two shops, and the one attraction. Now, as everyone knows, the centerpiece of the pavilion is the Mesoamerican Pyramid, which was based on designs from the 3rd century AD. Pretty much everything in Mexico is represented within this pyramid. To go inside, you walk up some steps into the pyramid and then go through some doors. The entry into the interior of the Mesoamerican period is designed to look like a Mayan ceremonial hall. Here, various exhibits are displayed. In the center of the area, there's a sunstone, or an Aztec calendar. The hall is used to exhibit Mexican artifacts and cultural displays. Currently, the Animales Fantásticos, Spirits of the World, can be seen in this area. The story goes that Awaxican parents tell the stories to their children about fantasy animals that live in the nearby forests. Most of these magical creatures are mischief-makers, and the children are warned to stay clear of them. Today, these fantasy animals have emerged from the woods. They've been set free by the artisans who captured them in the branches and the trees. These brightly colored animals have traveled far from their homes in southwest Mexico, but bring with them the legendary playfulness. The artisan wood carvings of these animals, human and mythical creatures, are included in here. The carvings are divided into some categories. You have Los Comienzos, the beginning, Fiestas, which are festivals, El Mar, which is the sea, La Tierra, which is land, El Folclore, folklore, Amigos, or friends, Los Ángeles y Los Santos, the angels and saints, and El Día de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. Oaxican wood carving has become recognized as an important expression of how ancient cultures interact with the modern world. 
Now, if we go beyond the hall, you enter the main part of the pavilion. The interior of the pyramid was designed to look like a Mexican village at twilight. It's a perpetual nighttime, and it was done intentionally to accurately represent the hours of the open-air markets in Mexico. This would be evening time after the siesta as night begins to fall. Now, the inspiration for this open-air market came from the town of Tashco de Alarcón, one of Mexico's most beautiful old settlements. The square is surrounded by Spanish colonial buildings, complete with wrought iron railings, tile roofs, and fountains. Take a look around as you stand in the marketplace. You enter it by going down a pathway. There's a fountain in the center, and the path splits on either side of the fountain. There are shops in front of you in the open air, and a few off to the sides. If you take it all in, you do feel like you're in a small town in Mexico in the early evening. The noise, the smells of the food from the restaurant are all intended to make you think that you're transported there in some way. Now, straight back is the main restaurant, the San Angel Inn, modeled after an old restaurant in Mexico City. Beyond that, visible anywhere inside, is a pyramid towering above the jungle, a native village complete with smoldering volcano. In the back left corner of the pavilion is the entrance to the boat ride. The placement is really interesting because it requires you to walk through most of the pavilion to get there. The idea here is that you have to experience part of the culture of Mexico before entering the ride, which used to be about the history of Mexico. And again, a little more about that later. Located just before the entrance of the boat ride, there's an area called Casa Mexicana. It offers an opportunity to discover modern Mexico. Here you'll find the home of the Pacatilchi family. The Kidcot station is located here, and off to the left is an alcove where you can select one of four adventures and send home a video postcard. Now, as you reach the second level of La Casa, you'll find a dining room with a table set for the family meal. The design and colors of the home are what you would expect to find in Mexico today. There's a musical section with a number of guitars on display. There are two windows into Mexico in the Casa, which are located above the map of the country. You push the buttons on the map rep representing one of the X's in the region, and your window shows a short video of a representative of that area. You can select the Yucatan Peninsula, South and Gulf of Mexico, Central Mexico, Baja, Northern Mexico, and the Pacific Coast. Now in general, since its opening in 1982, for a number of years, Mexico Pavilion saw a relatively small number of changes. So it looks pretty much today like it did when it first opened, more than 30 years ago. Let's move on and talk about the grounds and gardens. Because the entire pavilion is indoors, there really aren't any grounds to be found. There's a tree-lined area to the right of the entrance, but it's primarily for shade and not remarkable for its horticultural, or truly representative of Mexico, though you can find some orchids and other flowering plants there that you do see in Mexico. So it's a nice area to stop through and actually get some pictures and kind of enjoy it. So since there aren't a lot of gardens to talk about, let's talk about the building and its architecture. The pyramid itself is 36 feet tall, and that's about four stories. It's a composite of Mesoamerican motifs dating back to the 3rd century, with an emphasis on the Aztec civilization. It's modeled after an Aztec temple of Quetzalcoatl, found in the Tehotiquan. The serpent's heads represent Quetzalcoatl, the god of priesthood, as well as learning and knowledge, and they guard the structure. The stairs going up the facade lead to the temple of the high priest. These men were skilled in astronomy and mathematics, and were unequaled in pre-Columbian cultures. The elaborate carving at the base of the pyramid steps is called a steel. These bas-relief carvings were used in funerals, commemorative symbols, and in territorial markings. Besides adding authenticity to the pyramid, its placement was chosen to deter guests from climbing on the stairs. But even so, someone was caught climbing them, and now there's a sign that says, no climbing. Now one interesting side note is that the pyramid 
is the tallest building facing the lagoon. And for that reason, Disney decided to put the control room for illuminations on the top of the building. Though you can't see it, there's a small office up on the top that's used for the nightly show. Let's move on and talk about shopping. The main location for shopping is the open-air market in the Pyramid. It's called the Festival Marketplace and is home to all sorts of stands which sell authentic Mexican merchandise of various styles. The shops to the sides have a specific theme. La Tienda Encantada sells clothing and accessories. And La Princesa de Cristal sells crystal and glassware and is run by the Arribas Brothers. Now there's an interesting story here that I think I should mention. La Princesa de Cristal has a lineage that can be traced back to Walt Disney himself. Brothers Alfonso and Thomas Arribas grew up in the northwestern Spanish town of La Coruna. They were taught the family glass-cutting business by their father and grandfather. Soon after their apprenticeship ended, the Spanish Cultural Ministry recognized their unique talents and selected them to represent Spain in the 1964-65 World's Fair that was held in New York. And that's how they met Walt Disney. During the fair, Walt and the team were busy planning the New Orleans Square for Disneyland. Since the Spanish played an important part in the development of the real New Orleans Square, the talents of these young men would add greatly to the realism of Walt's recreation. The brothers were asked if they would like to open up a shop in this new land, and they readily agreed. Their shop was a huge success, and soon a second location was opened on Main Street. Since then, they've maintained stores in each of the theme parks that Disney owns, downtown Disney, and other locations as well. So the Arribas brothers have a strong connection to the Walt Disney Company. That's why you always see cut glass and glass blowing and different things like that as different exhibits. And it's really kind of a fascinating story. And like I said, since it ties back to Walt, it makes it kind of interesting in a way. Now, back to the story about shopping. In spite of the fact that nearly everything's inside, there are a few shops that are actually outside of the pavilion. And you'll find these closer to the lagoon. There's an open-air shop located next to the La Hacienda restaurant. This merchant sells similar souvenir items as those found inside the pyramid, including colorful vases, maracas, and t-shirts. Adjacent to that is the ring carver's booth. Craftsmen carve your initials, words, and short names into the ring in about 10 to 15 minutes. Now let's move on and talk about other things to see and do in Mexico. As far as entertainment goes, often Donald Duck in his Mexican attire and his pals from The Three Caballeros, the 1946 film, can be found to the right of the pavilion as you look at the entrance. That's in that tree-lined area I talked about before. Now, interesting, if for those of you who don't know, the three caballeros would equivocate to the three dudes. So they're kind of three friends that are going around and doing different things. Now, I wanted to say a couple words about Donald's friends. Jose Carroca is the green parrot. He happens to actually be Brazilian. But the general idea is, is that the three caballeros are representative of Central and South America. So while he may speak Portuguese instead of Spanish, he fits in thematically. And by the way, if you question whether he's actually Brazilian or not, the name Carroca actually means from Rio de Janeiro. So basically, he's saying he's Jose from Rio de Janeiro. Panchito Pistoles is the orange rooster, and he is Mexican. Panchito's full name is Panchito Romero Miguel Junipero Francisco Quintero González El Tercer. Panchito, Pancho, Paco, or Paquito are all names for Francisco, which is his fifth name. The unusually large name is kind of making fun of the fact that in many Spanish-speaking countries, people use two last names, which in some cases are composed of two or more words, and commonly have one or more middle names. Quintero González is Panchito's last name. According to Spanish naming, Quintero would be his father's last name and González would be his mother's. Now, there's no reference to the surname you hear, Pistoles. One of the stories I've heard that explains this is that it's another nickname. The word pistolas does not exist in Spanish, although the word pistolas does. Now, pistolas means guns, specifically handguns or pistols, 
In all likelihood, they added the E to Pistolas to make it easier for non-Spanish speakers to adapt to that name and be able to say it. So his surname is likely to be Pistolas in that case, which would mean guns, and that makes sense because in the Three Caballeros movie, he does have two handguns in various scenes. So it kind of makes sense. So he's Panchito Pistolas, which was kind of reformed to Panchito Pistoles, just to make it easier. We're three caballeros, three gay caballeros. They say we are birds of a feather. We're happy amigos, no matter where he goes. The one, two, and three goes. We're always together. We're three happy chappies with snappy serapis. you find us beneath our sombreros. We're brave and we'll stay so, we're bright as a peso. We say so, the three caballeros. Oh, we have stars to guide us, guitars here beside us. Play as we go. We sing and we samba. We shout, Ay caramba! What means, Ay caramba? Oh, yes, I don't know. Oh, to fair or stormy weather, we stand close together like books on a shelf. And that's how we may be when some Latin baby says yes, no, or maybe. Now, Mexico had the first of only two attractions in World Showcase, two true rides. There are several areas that have films or different exhibits and different things that they do, but there were only two rides in all of World Showcase. The boat ride was converted in 2007 to the Grand Fiesta Tour starring the Three Caballeros, so there's a strong tie-in to the pavilion. In the Grand Fiesta Tour, guests travel through much of what was the original ride, but with new technology. The premise is that you follow the adventures of Jose and Panjito as they are set to perform, but they can't find Donald and go off searching for him in Mexico. He's naturally having a lot of fun, and they go off looking for him in a magic serape. Now recently there was an interesting addition to the pavilion, the audio-animatronic figures of the three caballeros that originally appeared in the Mickey Mouse Review, way back when the park opened, had been moved to Japan, and were part of the Mickey Mouse Review that was on display there until late last year. They've been since moved back and are now appearing on the platform at the end of the Grand Fiesta Tour, and they perform together. So that's kind of a neat little tie-in there that they brought them back to uh, Walt Disney World and have them where they originally appeared. Now, of course, as I said, I'll get back to the attraction in a little bit, but that's the basic nature of it. Now, beyond that, you can also find a mariachi cobra band playing in the area next to the pavilion or across the walkway closer to the lagoon, depending on the weather. Now, this is an up-to-12-piece band 
entertaining with exhilarating rhythms and classic Mexican melodies. Members play violins, guitars, trumpets, and a whole lot more. You'll see different uh, kinds of instruments out there. Now, when the weather does get really inclement, they do move the mariachi cobre inside the pavilion, so you can find them in there at times. But generally speaking, you'll find them outside. Now, as I mentioned earlier on, the Kidcot station in, Me in the Mexico pavilion is actually inside in the uh, Casa Mexicana, very close to the uh, boat ride. Hey, let's talk a little bit about drinking around the world, because some people enjoy sampling adult beverages from the countries around World Showcase. And uh, the festival marketplace actually has another name that's Plaza de los Amigos, which is actually the, the Plaza of the Friends. There's an establishment called La Cava del Tequila. Here you can find over 70 varieties of premium Mexican tequila and a selection of appetizers. Tequila masters will be happy to share their knowledge about the history and traditions of this national drink. The setting itself is inviting and cozy and the perfect place for a quiet rendezvous. When you're enjoying a drink in this dark hideaway, you'll completely forget the hustle and bustle that's just outside the door. You can get table service in this establishment, and tequilas range in price from about $8 to a maximum of $50 for some of the specialty brands. Further up along the World Showcase Promenade and closer to the Norway Pavilion is the Margarita Stand. This is a popular spot during the hot summer months. You'll find frozen lime, strawberry, and mango margaritas to help refresh in the body after hours of enduring the hot sun. If you're in an adventurous mood, you might want to try the Fiesta Margarita. This drink layers the flavors in a colorful display. If you're not a margarita drinker, you can find Dos Equis here as well. Now let's talk about the restaurants in Mexico. The Mexico Pavilion is home to four different dining options. As you might expect, all four restaurants serve Mexican fare. First off is the San Angelin. Now this was the first restaurant in the pavilion, and it's based on the company that provided the money for the attraction, also called the San Angelin. It was designed based on the restaurant in Mexico City, which opened in 1692. At that time, they converted a 17th century hacienda into an internationally acclaimed eatery, the Restaurante San Angelin. Palma Services LLC runs the restaurant, and it's fairly representative of the Mexican cuisine that you might find in Mexico. From your table, where it's eternally twilight, of course, guests can see parts of the Grand Fiesta Tour starring the Three Caballeros, and also overlook the Pyramid. 
Now, some say it's one of the most beautiful restaurants in Disney World, and I tend to agree. There's something about its setting that's relaxing and somewhat captivating. There are two other restaurants that are actually outside the main building, directly across from the main pavilion and closer to the lagoon. On the side to your right as you stand with your back to the pyramid is a counter-service restaurant which is called Cantina de San Angel. This location specializes in tacos and opened with the pavilion in 1982. The other side to the left is named La Hacienda de San Angel, and it provides a table service meal and has a great view of World Showcase. Confused about the names? I know I am from time to time. All of them include the name San Angel. And keeping them straight can be difficult. Now here's how I keep them straight. The inn is inside the pyramid. The cantina is what you think of as maybe a bar food, as in the cantina in Star Wars. And so it's counter service. And then the hacienda, or the house, is in a separate building that's a house outside of the pyramid. And it's where you sit down to eat, as you would a meal at your house. So that's how I keep them straight. It may sound a little silly, but it does work. Now, I did say there were four actual dining establishments. The fourth is La Cava del Tequila. The cave is on your right as you enter inside the Mexico Pavilion. And the reason that it's also listed as a restaurant is because that they have some table space and they do serve small meals like tapas and traditional Mexican fare in smaller portions or appetizer sizes. So you can get something to eat in there as well. Moving on, let's talk about what was, what happened, what changed at the pavilion. Early on, there were flamingos in the alcove of the lagoon closer to Future World. They've been relocated to the Animal Kingdom, but that was always a nice sight to see the flamingos that were hanging out there by the World Showcase. Kind of neat. Now, the original ride, El Rio del Tiempo, was a relaxing tour to see both the history and the diverse culture of Mexico, rather than a Disney-oriented attraction. The idea was that you were going to sail the River of Time. El Rio del Tiempo opened with the rest of the pavilion on December 1st, 1982, and closed its doors on January 2nd, 2007, to be replaced by the Grand Fiesta Tour. When you enter the attraction, still, you can feel the shades of the blue bayou in Disneyland. It has the feeling of the opening part of Pirates of the Caribbean. The boat is similar to the longboat in the attraction, and it really feels something like Pirates, at least in the early part. El Rio del Tiempo was an eight-minute journey, and it was an excursion through the three cultures of Mexico, pre-Columbian, Spanish colonial, and modern Mexico. In the pre-Columbian, a number of dancers were used to portray the three pre-Columbian civilizations, Mayan, Toltec, and Aztec. In one sequence, we saw nature and science pay tribute to a man's understanding of his codependence with nature. Another dance portrayed the struggle between Quetzalcoatl, who represents good, Tezcatlipoca, the god of evil. Next, the ride continued as we entered the Spanish colonial period of Mexican history. In this scene, we saw small world-type dolls dressed in period costumes, representing the indigenous people and the new arrivals from across the sea joining together in celebration. One set of dolls here resembled Dia de los Muertos mariachi band. The music transitioned from traditional sounds to a more upbeat mariachi style of music. We soon enter the third phase of our journey, modern Mexico. A combination of film strips and 3D tableaus showed us the vacation wonders of the current cultures and, and rich landscape. We're transitioned back to scenes set in the scenery again, but more modern Mexico is shown, highlighting its markets, beaches, and resorts. A series of screens uh, set within a market scene showed two vendors in an outdoor market who addressed the audience and attempted to sell their wares, following the boats as they floated along. If you're familiar with If You Had Wings, one of the Magic Kingdom originals, you have a sense of the style that was in effect here, where the people would try to sell you something as you moved along, and they continued to talk to you. As you. In that case, as your car moved along, but here it's as your boat moved along. 
And then one of the final scenes was generally a fan favorite. This scene was made to look like the boats were floating outdoors on a dark night, with the black sky overhead and city scrapers illuminated in the background. To the left is a carousel with a full-size marionettes wearing traditional Mexican attire in place of the usual horses and other animals. Fiber optics embedded in the ceiling light up to resemble fireworks bursting above.
may it go well for you, and may your hearts be gladdened with the sounds of music. We will meet again. Until then, may you always be delighted. This remains here. Keep your hands and arms inside your bowl until it stops. Please keep your hands and arms inside your bowl and remain seated until it comes to a complete stop at the dock. Just one last thing before I let you go. This show is really a labor of love. It's something that I just enjoy doing. I like talking about Disney, and I like to talk. As you may have guessed, the fact that I've been doing this podcast for some number of years and can talk about a wide variety of topics makes you believe that I, I like to talk. And I enjoy doing this podcast and meeting new people and kind of interacting with people along the way as well. So if you like this show, why not let people know that you enjoy Dave's Disney View podcast? And an easy way to do that is just to provide a review on whatever platform you're listening on. So go over to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever tool you're using and just give a review. It only takes a moment. Love it? Tell people about it. And that's your complete look at the Mexico Pavilion at Epcot. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there... Please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 